This is the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Listen, most years, here we are on Holy Saturday, and I'm holding in this this somber feeling because I, I, I want to experience what the church is inviting us to experience, but I'm just excited today. Uh, I'm, I'm praying uh, in a special way for those who are coming into the church this year. It's been a hard year just in general to do anything, and we have people who have heard the call of God, who have found him uh, in in the Catholic Church, and have said, this is a place I want to be. Uh, and so and through all that they have experienced this year, the thing that they've decided to do is to go through the extraordinary effort of RCIA or meeting with a priest or however it was that they were formed for the sacrament and to say, um, yeah, this is the year I'm going to do it. I'm going to come in at Easter Vigil. So I just have a, a huge amount of admiration for those who are coming into the church this year. You know, they they looked at their lives as the pandemic started and said, you know, I, what can I do this year? I can... Uh, I can learn to bake bread. <laughs> I can I can change my hobby, or I can alter my entire life, flip it upside down, and uh, and become a Catholic. And some people said that's the thing I want to do. Uh, and so I I want you, if you have the ability at all, uh, if your church allows it, um, and and you know some churches are still on on kind of got to sign up early. Uh, ours is now kind of at a first come first serve. We we have a good amount of capacity we're allowed to hit. Uh, and we've got an overflow space set up in case we hit that number and we want to have people still participate. If there's any way for you to go and to your church and to support those who are coming in at Easter Vigil, man, I want to encourage you to do that. But even if you don't have someone at your parish that's coming into the church, um, this is still just a fascinating liturgy to be a part of, uh, because this is the liturgy that we recount the whole of salvation history. Uh, there's seven, depending some some parishes don't do all the readings, um, but there are seven Old Testament readings plus a, an accompanying psalm for every one of them, uh, and then the epistle, and then the gospel, and so. We really, we start at Genesis, we go through the fall, we go through the, the deliverance of the people of God from slavery in, uh, in Exodus, we go through the, the prophets, we come up to the epistle, and then we hear the gospel. We, we, we go from the, the instigation of, uh, of the problem with the fall all the way through God's attempts uh, to to reestablish relationship with us uh, throughout the Old Testament, all the way up to the the sacrifice that was made for us on the cross, and now here we are on this side of Easter, this side of the resurrection, as we welcome the light of of his his favor. Um, the whole first part of this, the whole as we're reading these Old Testament readings, um, the lights are all off, right? The the the, the lecture has this light. In my previous parish, we had this little LED light that was kind of pointed down at the uh, at the paper so they could see it. Um, and then all of a sudden, we get to the epistle and the lights come on, and there's this this uh, just 
physical response uh, and and physical manifestation of what's going on in the spirit. So we kind of work through this with not just our ears and our intellects and our minds, but also with our senses as we explore salvation history. It's such a, um, a, a meaningful experience. If you've never done it, man, I just, and I say this every year, if you've never done an Easter vigil, uh, I, this is the year to do it. Um, it's probably not a service that's going to be packed. And so, man, I want to encourage you to do that. Make your way to Easter Vigil uh, because it's just such a wonderful liturgy. If you can make it to a, your cathedral, that's that's even, uh, and I'm not encouraging you to, to church hop here, but man, I love being in the center of the diocese at that that place that the the documents of the church call the liturgical center um, of the diocese for such an important liturgy. Uh, this is one that the the bishop is going to be celebrating, and it's just worth your time. It's such an excellent liturgy to be a part of. And Easter Vigil always holds a special place in the heart of a convert because um, that experience of the liturgy for the first time is a big deal. Uh, I, I actually did not come into the church on Easter Vigil. I came in three weeks after Easter Vigil because I was uh, working at a Protestant church at the time. I was a, a music director. And so um, it was it was a big deal for me to get my own church, uh, my community through Easter, which is a, a big you know, a big thing um, it, before I came into the church for myself so that I, I would take care of my obligations there and not leave them in a bind so they didn't have uh, a, a fitting Easter celebration for themselves. Uh, and then I came and entered fully into the church and my my pastor was just fantastic about that. Um, uh, Father Jack out in the Diocese of Tulsa walked us through that process and helped us enter the church and really made some concessions for us to be able to do so. And I'm still just hugely grateful that he didn't uh, just look at us and say, well, we have a process and you have to do it this way or you just can't do it. But he made a way for us to be able to enter into the church at that time. But um, even though I didn't come into the church, I still experienced the Easter Vigil Liturgy the year that we came in. Uh, because uh, as a Protestant music director, I was only, uh, I did we did the rest of the Triduum in a way. Uh, we, did a, we did our Monday, Thursday was what we called it, Monday, Thursday service. Uh, I put on a Good Friday service because it was important to me. And that's uh, kind of explains that I was on the journey that far that I wanted to mark Good Friday uh, in the way that I could. And then, uh, but then we didn't have anything till Easter morning. And so I had my my Easter vigil free and I snuck away as I had been doing for, uh, for eight months. And I went to Easter vigil. Uh, I've been going to vigil mass with my, my family every week during that eight eight month progression towards our Catholicism. Um, so we snuck across town. We watched uh, the other people um, who were coming into the church that year. We watched them be received into the church. And we just kind of had that sense of just three more weeks. We got this. We can do this. We can hold off. So we got through Easter, gave the, the three-week notice. I wanted to give them a little bit of extra time. Uh, and then, and then, here we are. We came into the Catholic Church. Uh, so it always holds a special place for me as Easter rolls back around, even though 
um, we came in 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 May, uh, and of course we're not there yet. Um, even though the actual date is not the anniversary, that it is the liturgical anniversary or very close to it of our entering the church. I know a lot of converts mark that every year. They're like, "Okay, here we are. It's another year." Uh, and so, I, I'm I'm just curious uh, who is listening today. Uh, and so, I have a poll up on Twitter. I put it up uh, last Wednesday. And I want to know if you who are listening to this show, if you are a convert like me, uh, if you came into the church later in life and, and went through that confirmation uh, and entrance by profession of faith, uh, if you are a cradle Catholic, you were baptized as an infant, um, whether maybe, maybe you're not part of the Catholic church yet, maybe you're still on the journey and you are listening to this show as, as part of that journey, uh, there's a spot for you too. Maybe you are just not at all interested in Catholicism, dot, 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 yet. Um, there's a spot for that. So come over to Twitter. Uh, this is a Twitter poll. Um, the handle, my handle on Twitter is at outside the walls. Uh, come over to twitter.com slash at outside the walls. Click that little link. Tell me who you are as a listener uh, in one of those four categories, that you're a convert, you are a cradle Catholic, you are uh, on the journey, not quite in yet, or you're not interested, dot, 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 yet, uh, because I, I'm, I'm just really super curious. And then while you're there, uh, after you fill out that little piece of the, um, of the poll, leave a comment. Let me know a little bit about your story. What year did you come into the church if you're a convert? Um, what, if you are a cradle Catholic, what's the moment that you really came, as we talked about last week with uh, that, that profound experience of the love of God where you said, yes, I want to be a disciple to make that conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Um, tell me a little bit about your Easter story, because all of us who are baptized and share that common baptism. We are all Easter people. We all have an Easter story. Uh, and this is something that we ought to call to mind and not just kind of leave in the back of our heads or take for granted, but to really kind of enter into our own stories and to explore uh, what is our relationship to Easter? Um, how has this, this, uh, this Easter experience changed us uh, and continue to change us uh, for the better as we become more uh, conformed to the likeness of Jesus, as we are uh, growing as disciples of Jesus. Uh, I want to hear that story because our story is a powerful thing. Uh, the book of Revelation says they, the, the saints of God, they overcame uh, all the difficulties that they were encountering. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Hey, that's that's Good Friday, right? And the word of their testimony. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Our testimony, our experience, our story with uh, our relationship to God and, and our reception of the gospel is important, not only for ourselves, but for those around us. Because as people hear the faithfulness of God in our story, it generates and grows faith in them that God will do the same for them in their story. And one of the greatest platforms for Easter kinds of stories is the Coming Home Network. I'm sure that you've heard of them, uh, specifically through their program, The Journey Home with Marcus Grodi, that airs on EWTN. Um, they have, for a long time, 
make, given a platform to uh, to people who are converts uh, or reverts who have come into the Catholic Church. Started out giving uh, a platform to pastors for, who had been in ministry in the Protestant Church, and and let them tell the story of the journey that it took for them to become Catholic. Now, it's expanded now beyond just converts. It also now has some reverts on as well, people who had been Catholic and went away and came back. Started out mainly for pastors, but they've expanded it even beyond that uh, to the point where I had the the pleasure of being on the show a couple of times on the journey home. Uh, I'll put links to those episodes on our social media. But then beyond the television show, they have an entire uh, a network to support pastors through that journey, to help answer their questions, to help them find uh, new ways of employment, to to take away the obstacles that are present for them so that they can enter into the church into full communion with the Catholic Church. Uh, so today we're going to be talking with Ken Hensley. Uh, he is the online resource and pastoral care coordinator for the Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org. Ken, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, well, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here with you, TL. So you came into the church uh, in 1997 um, after after being uh, an ordained pastor for a number of years. There's a whole different way of being um, when it when mm-hmm. it's, you know, you're not just changing your, your mind about something. You're not just growing in your understanding of the faith, but you're actually leaving a, a big part of your identity behind as you come into the church. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was true. Yeah. I mean, I, I came to the Lord in a completely non-denominational environment at the age of 22. And my first experience of church was a home Bible study. And then, uh, and you know, and then I went to some churches in Riverside, California, where I grew up, complete sola scriptura. You, I'm sure you're familiar with that whole thing. You know, that was the atmosphere that we breathed. It was the world in which I lived. Um, I went on to get my, um, and my bachelor's degree in Bible and theology from a college, from a Bible college, and then to get a master's degree from Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, and then was ordained into the ministry and spent 11 years as a Baptist pastor in the LA area mm-hmm. before um, coming into the church. So when you when you come into the church as as an individual, whoever it is, is you're coming in as an adult. There are certain things that you you have to lay down, right? I mean, we say that at at confirmation, um, as we who enter by a profession of faith, we say, "I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church uh, teaches, proclaims, and believes to be revealed by God." Uh, that's a that's a high hurdle for for anyone who says, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna uh, hold on to this faith, and I might not completely understand it, but I believe it's true, so I'm gonna I'm gonna enter it." But all the more so for someone who has been uh, trained in master's level theology in another tradition, because now you're not just yeah. learning something new; you're having to let go of a whole framework of belief in order to do that. Yeah, yeah, and and all of that applies pretty much in spades to my situation. Um, I was my specialization when I was in seminary was in biblical theology and hermeneutics, the science of interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I was enrolled in a doctoral program. So I, um, after seminary, so I was actually aimed at an academic life. Um, but then during a period where I was just sick to death of reading books, it does happen, you know, to some of us. Right. Um, I accepted a position as a, as an associate pastor at a church and wound up in the ministry. And it's kind of just snowballed from that. But 
my point in raising that is that is that I was very much a, a student of scripture and of biblical theology, systematic theology. And so when the idea of Catholicism came into my mind, because I, I had never thought of it before, mm-hmm. it was the conversion of an old friend. I found out that he had become Catholic and I, I couldn't believe he'd become Catholic. And I began, I listened to his conversion story on tape and then began to talk with him on the phone that I, that I became curious for the first time in my life with the Catholic faith. And I was about 38 years old at the time. Um, so, so for me, it required, you know, I mean, I knew that I was, I wasn't going to leave my ministry. You know, you mentioned the word identity a few minutes ago. Yeah. You know, when you've, when you've studied, when you've gone through it, when it's the only occupation you've ever known, really, um, my, my identity was wrapped up in being a pastor and being a teacher, being a preacher, counseling, being a pastor. And so um, I wasn't going to drop that unless I was completely, utterly convinced and so someone like me, at least, you end up going through a process of just rethinking your entire worldview as a Christian from the, fl- from the ground floor up. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my conversion to the Catholic faith then was, you know, has a very, very strong intellectual component. And that is that I had to be convinced. Mm-hmm. I had to be so convinced that I ended up knowing, you know, I ended up knowing more and being more convinced than, than a good number of Catholics walking around the world that are been maybe Catholics their whole life and are happy to remain Catholic. But, um, uh, some of them maybe don't even know everything the church teaches, but yeah, when you come in and you're making that statement, how did you state it again? I believe all that the church I, I think, teaches. Uh, it's I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church teaches, yeah. proclaims, and believes to be revealed by God. Yeah, that's a high hurdle, as you said, you know, and I had to know, you know, to, to me at the time, the worst case scenario would have been that I resign my ministry um, to become Catholic. And then two or three years later, yeah. I just, you know, I run into another argument or something I haven't read yet. And I decide that I made a horrible mistake and I've got to go back to being a Baptist or something. You know, I, that couldn't happen. So I had to know, I had to know. Now with the coming home network uh, specializes in this started with Marcus mm-hmm. Grodi, who, who also went through that same mm-hmm. journey, came into the church. Uh, he was uh, influenced by someone else who had made this journey and he was looking for a way to support specifically those people who were in ministry yeah. because there is a, a different kind of level when you're living up not just an identity, but also your entire uh, your uh, income, your support network. Every, everything that you would have as a pastor yeah. goes away when you come into the church. For me, I, I wasn't a, a senior pastor, I worked, but I worked in ministry and I was mm-hmm. uh, a music director in the Protestant church for about 10 years. And there is this sense of, uh, leaving income, leaving career, leaving everything that I've built up to this point. So I, for personally, I spent a lot of time kind of bargaining. It's like how much, uh, how close can I get to Catholicism and belief <laughs> and still stay where I am and be okay? Uh, and and eventually I got to the place where it was like, no, I really, I really do believe this and I really have to take that next step. Um, you accompany people all along this journey can you talk a little bit about some of the experiences you have, have that have been relayed sure. to you in those journeys? Sure. And, uh, you know, I can see how as a music minister, you could maybe stretch that line quite a bit further than some others can. Yeah. And it also depending on what denomination you're in, mm-hmm. because if you were a music minister in a large church where you could just hide behind your keyboard, you know, and pick out good songs and that's all you had to do. Yep. Um, yeah. Let me start with my own life, I guess, on this. I am, um, 
you know, I, I knew um, it was about a four year process for me of coming to my, to conviction that I had to leave my ministry, that I couldn't just, to just deal with this mentally or spiritually and remain where I was. Part of it was my wife having no interest yeah. for, for about the first year to two years, I, I think she not only had no interest, but she was positively, you know, hostile to what I was doing. She, she just basically was, was amazed. She couldn't believe that her Baptist pastor husband was coming home and reading all these Catholic books and being drawn toward Catholicism. So, so that, that, that slowed me down and that that led to me playing this kind of back and forth game too, where I would find myself really drawn to the to the to the vision of of the church that was developing as I was reading Catholic apologists, reading Catholic theology, you know, listening to all the CDs and debates and whatnot. I would be drawn a, like a you know a powerful magnet was just like sucking me toward the church. But then, because I knew how my wife felt about it. And I also knew what would happen if I became Catholic. You know, I knew that I'd be starting over from scratch and I'd be in my early 40s at that time. Um, what, what I would do is if I ever read an argument from the Protestant side that seemed to even scratch the surface of answering, you know, the, the claims of the church, I would just grab it. Yeah. And I would embrace it to my bosom, you know, and then I would make the the foolish mistake of coming home and telling my wife too, honey, you don't need to worry. I read this thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Catholics are wrong now. You don't have to worry. She would become happy. I would become happy. We would kind of fall back into this happy <laughs> existence for a while. And then somewhere, you know, I'd find myself back on the road, you know? And so, mm -hmm. so it took a long time. And for me, I was afraid of having to start over. I, you know, I, I didn't know what I would do. I had a master's degree in theology. I had nothing else. And I didn't know what I would do. But I was kind of foolish and naive. And I assumed that a master's degree in theology would open all kinds of doors, you know, or, or it might, you know. I didn't know how bad it was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that when you go out there with your master's degree in theology, you, you, you've got nothing. You know, yeah. you've got just, you've got like monopoly money, you know, that you're trading with. Um, but, but, um, but the main thing for me was, that I, I was in a Bible-believing, conservative, evangelical Baptist church where I had certain doctrines I was supposed to uphold. And I even had a new members class coming up on the, on the calendar, you know, where, where I was going to have a room full of people. And my job would be to convince them that Baptist theology is correct and that they should join our, our church, you know. And so, the way it was for me near the NTL is it, it, my best analogy is I describe it as being in a burning building, hmm. you know, and I, I like to put this out because people are always saying, oh, how brave, how brave you were, you know, these pastors, how brave to leave. And I say, no, listen to this analogy. When you're in a burning building, you know, the smoke is rising everywhere. The first thing you do is you drop to the floor and you can crawl around for a while on the floor. You know, that is what you did as a music minister, I'm sure. You can crawl around for a while and stay beneath the smoke, you right. know. But at a certain point, you just, you know, the heat is rising. The smoke is filling the room. At a certain point, you have to just run out the door. Mm -hmm. You have to just run. And when when you run out the door, no one meets you at the sidewalk and says, oh, you're so brave. <laughs> it's not bravery. I mean, I was scared to death. It was just a, a point at which I knew I could no longer survive and I ran out the door. And so, you know, I went on then to work various jobs and do things I don't even want to go into. You know, um, basically I was, did phone sales for many, many years in different, in different ways. But, but I deal now at the Coming Home Network, 
Now, I mean, actually, I worked other jobs for 18 years after becoming Catholic, and I've been back in what you could call full-time ministry now for five years mm-hmm. with, with the Coming Home Network. And my main job is that I deal with the Protestant ministers around the world who come to the Coming Home Network um, curious or wanting some support or some help. And so my background, I believe in the providence of God, my background helps me to at least be able to sympathize with these people. But I find, you know, I run into nightmares almost every day, nightmarish situations that are worse than mine was. Mm -hmm. Because my Mm -hmm. wife may have opposed it the first two years or so, but the second two years she was coming on board. She was beginning to listen. She was beginning to hear the, the case that I was making for the Catholic faith and the Catholic church. And so that by the time I resigned, she was with me, you know, to say, we'll go to RCIA together. I deal with a lot of men who are nowhere close to this. Mm -hmm. Some who have wives that say, I will divorce you if you become Catholic, or just absolutely are so upset and hurt and angry by it that, um, that the men don't know what to do. And they don't know how to leave their ministry. Some of them are, I was 42 when I left Mm -hmm. and I felt really old. I thought, man, I'm old. How will I ever start over? You know, what will I do? Some of these men are 48 or 50 or 52 or 55. Mm -hmm. And they've become completely convinced through reading and learning of the truth of the Catholic faith, but feel like there's absolutely nothing they can do. You know, if they resign their ministry, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be greeters at Walmart and that's all there is to it. And, And then the wife also is completely opposing it. And so it's a very, very tough situation for many of them. For for me, when I came into the church, um, I really did have the blessing that my wife was open to it, and, and mm. I took uh, about uh, probably ten years to to really fully make the journey. She did it about five, um, and when it, she was actually the one who who first said, "No, no, I, I'm whenever you're ready, I'm ready." You mm. know, when she when she first started out, it was more of a sense of, "Well, if you ever become Catholic, I will," because I want our family to go to be yeah. at, be at church together. And at the end, she was really the one who said, no, 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 you, you just tell me when and we'll, we'll make that change. And so there really was that blessing of, yeah. of being on that same page. And, and as you say, it's not always the case. So um, th- this is what I want to get to, and we're okay. going to have to get to it after this break. What are the things that, that we who are now, uh, who are now bab- baptized, con- confirmed mm-hmm. uh, mass goers <laughs> who are, fully initiated into the Catholic church. What can we do from our place of, uh, of relative security to support um, in both spiritually and in, in any other way possible uh, those people who are coming into the Catholic church this, this evening, uh, both in our own dioceses, but then also around the U.S. We're going to get that answer just after this from Ken Hensley, who's the online resource and pastoral care coordinator at the Coming Home Network. Find out more about him over at chnetwork.org. Are you coming into the church this Easter, or is this your anniversary of coming into the church? Come over to social media and let me know about it. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. Let's share our story. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. Welcome 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam, and today is Holy Saturday. It's a big day. We've, uh, we're going through our Triduum services. Uh, we, every year, go to all of them because uh, with all the kids, because we're gluttons for punishment. We like our kids to be sleep-deprived as we're going to head to Easter Vigil tonight. Uh, the the place where we're going, I think that we've got four people coming into the church, Um and that's not the case everywhere. Some parishes don't have people coming through RCIA. Others have uh, just a huge amount. If you have the ability to go to a parish that's doing confirmations, man, I highly encourage it. Uh, the liturgy is wonderful. The support that we can give to those coming into the church is so important. And to talk more about that, we're talking with Ken Hensley, who's the online resource and pastoral care coordinator for the Coming Home Network. Find out more about their work at chnetwork.org. Ken, thanks again for joining us. Well, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. So we we were leaving that last part. We talked about the difficulty of of pastors in the Protestant mm-hmm. tradition as they come into the Catholic Church. Anyone really who finds their um, their uh, resources, their identity, their job, their security in the, the church, whether it be in a pastoral role or some other way, there's a difficulty coming into uh, the Catholic church when all of that just kind of goes away. The whole identity support network structure, uh, sometimes even family relationships, mm-hmm. the friendships that just disappear. So here they are, they're coming in now, they're being confirmed, they're entering mm-hmm. into our family, mm-hmm. part of the communion of saints, what can we do to help support those who are entering this uh, this evening? Okay, well, you know, um, as I mentioned, I, I work in my ministry, I work primarily with, with um, Protestant pastors, clergy, who are leaving their positions to become Catholic or, or at, at some stage along the road. And so what I have to do for them is, um, it may be just a more intense version of what we need to do for everyone, because for them, maybe it's helping them figure out how to write a new resume, um, you know, how to, you know, how to, how, how to brainstorm about how to, how to find a new job, but also it, it ends up being marital counseling often, what to do, how to talk to your wife or your, your husband, if it's a female pastor, which I've also dealt with. And um, so, so many other things, but let's make this more general. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say number one to support converts would be befriend them because a, a you know something i hear just constantly is people who often read their way and pray their way in, into the catholic faith and so what they're reading is opening their their minds and their hearts to something they never even dreamed of before this beautiful idea of a church that christ the lord has founded and established for us that it's not just a matter that Christianity is not just a matter of Jesus inspiring a book and throwing it out into the crowd, basically, and saying, do your best, you know? And so everybody's just working to study the Bible and figure out what they think it teaches, um, but that he's given them a church. And so people will read this, um, they will learn, they'll be listening to debates and all that. And th- th- this beautiful vision is is forming in their minds of what the Catholic church is, and they want to become Catholic. And then maybe they go through an RCIA program that is a good one. And maybe they they feel like this is this fantastic, and then along comes Easter Vigil, they're brought into the church, and then I hear this just constantly. A few months later, I don't know anybody. Yeah, you know, and I notice that Catholics are so quiet. They go into church quiet. They kneel down. 
quiet. They get up and they leave mass. And where's the fellowship that I used to know in my evangelical church, you know, where there were all kinds of friendships. And so the first thing I would say to those listening is take that into account. Many of these people are really hurting because they've left a fellowship that they knew, maybe many of their best friends, maybe some of the best friends they had for years think that they've been, you know, taken captive by the devil to become, you know, you know, to become Catholic and they've lost a lot of connections. And there may be family members that are opposing them. Um, I, I run into this, not just here and there, but I mean, constantly family members who think basically you have followed the devil off the cliff. You're going to hell now and in strained relationships everywhere. So number one, befriend them, walk up to them, introduce yourself to them, invite them out for coffee or for lunch or something like that. I, I got to tell you, my wife and I, when we came into the church finally, and we brought our kids along with us, um, I would say that there were years in which we kind of just wandered into mass and wandered out of mass. And, um, and it w- just wasn't that great. Now I have learned since then that people have got to take responsibility, you know, con- converts too. And I encourage them all the time. Look, don't just stand there and wait for other people, you know, try to make connections, try to look at the church, at the parish bulletin and figure out w- what other kinds of things are happening things that you can join in and get to know people. But that's a big one. Mm-hmm. That's one to start. Well, you know, and this was something that I encountered as well. You know, we had, um, in my Protestant church, we had the church service, and then we had our uh, our Sunday school hour right after that that was for adults and children, uh, mm-hmm. where we all got together and had our, our curriculum that was based on whatever, but really it was an excuse for adults to get together and talk about faith and have some commonality. And, uh, and then I came into the Catholic church and the RE for my parish wasn't even on, on Sundays. And you, you did, you came up to mass and then you left. And there was not really when I, at least that I perceived Mm -hmm. a place for me to connect with other adults. Um, and, and that's a difficult thing, right? We've worked our way into the church. We've, uh, with fear and trembling, we've prayed through this. Maybe if, if you went to RCIA, you had some sense of community there but then our CIA is over and what's next? And this is often the question that I hear, what's next? Yeah. And, and I think for, for us who are in the church, it's incumbent upon us to provide a next, whether that is uh, coffee and donuts, whether that's, hey, come over to my house for, for mm-hmm. dinner, just some kind of next that provides um, it, emotional and spiritual support to people who are brand new to the faith. Yeah, in fact, if, the more I think about it, I mean, I don't want to be—I don't want to reduce it down to this level, but I almost feel like the main thing that Catholics can do and converts can do is reach out to new Catholics. I, that's really the basic thing to become their friend, because there's a lot of other things you can't make up for necessarily. You know, you're mentioning the level, well, the level, the level of education and whatnot. You know, many of these people are coming from churches where they were used to hearing a 30-minute exposition of, of the New Testament every single Sunday morning, you know, a pastor who was working exegetically through the book of Ephesians or Galatians right. or something. So they were having strong teaching constantly. And then maybe a Bible study on Wednesday nights, Sunday evening service, as you mentioned, Sunday school. And this applied to their kids too, Sunday school classes for kids all the way up. Um children's programs and some uh, churches, very elaborate and, and well done. 
children's programs, youth ministries. And so all, all, all of these things are a real trial um, in my experience with people that they fall in love with the church on paper, as it were. Um, and I, I don't mean that it's a shallow thing. I believe the Holy Spirit is leading them and they're, the vision that they, are, that they are obtaining of the church is a beautiful and a, and, a, and, a, and a great vision, but it's mainly on paper in the sense that they haven't been in Catholic churches. Right. They, you know, I remember I, I was probably three years along in my own conversion before I ever even walked into a Catholic church. And when I did, you know, use the phrase fear and trembling. Yeah. Right. When I did, I, I pulled up in front of a church in the area where I live, very Hispanic area, Hispanic Catholic church. And I sat there for a minute thinking, I want to go inside. This is like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And I remember that when I walked into that church, I was afraid. I sat down in a pew and I was just kind of looking around the room and noticing how colorful it was and noticing all the statues and artwork yeah. and the stained glass and everything. And just thinking, wow, this place is crazy. And, but I was afraid. I thought if a priest walks in here right now, he's going to know <laughs> that, that I don't belong. And I had this vision of a priest saying, you, you know, get out, Yeah, you know, something like that. So, so a lot of people become Catholic who have very little experience of the Catholic church and don't know that they may walk into a parish where they're getting five-minute homilies now, mm-hmm. where there is no Sunday school, where there is no midweek Bible study, where there is no you know, exposition of scripture. I think I mentioned to you before the show, like one of my funny experiences when I was new as a Catholic, I'm sitting in the pew now, and I'd been a senior pastor the, the previous eight years. I'm sitting in the pew at mass and I'm just kind of getting the lay of the land and someone walks up to do the the uh, Old Testament reading and begins by intoning a reading from the book of Job. <laughs> and I'm sitting out there, I was sitting out there just thinking, what, the book of Job? I mean, this person doesn't know that it's Job. I couldn't conceive of anybody in the church that I'd come from who wouldn't know that it was Job, okay? And so, that, that's another area of life that is so hard for many is they come into the Catholic church and there's the issue of loneliness that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. There's the issue of not having fellowship right away like that they were used to, but also the issue of the learning. You know, as you said, you go through RCIA and then the question is what's next. And in some parishes, there are good things next. In many parishes, there's nothing next when it comes to education. There's nothing mm-hmm. really set up. And so one of the thing, things that I have to do with converts is I have to encourage them to realize that they need to keep on learning on their own. They need to be self-inspired to keep reading books, keep studying, keep learning, because they may not have education in the, in the parish that they go to. But when you ask the question, like, what can we do, regular baptized people to help? Um, I don't know. You know, on that one, again, it kind of boils down to friendship, that if you reach out to someone and become their friend, then you can say to them, what, what are you reading now? Mm-hmm. Or at least you can say to them, hey, look, you can't rely on uh, the priest in, in our parish to educate you in scripture or in apologetics or anything like that. So why don't we start a book club? Or what are you reading now? This is what I'm reading. You know, it, within the context of friendship, you can begin to help them. Yeah. You know, there's some great resources that are out there now, um, all around. For, you know, the uh, the Ascension uh, Press books. You've got mm-hmm. the Formed uh, that have some kind of that exegetical uh, Bible studies. The the Lexio series on Formed is fantastic. Uh, there, there's more resources now for the the average layperson to delve into yes. Scripture. 
than than any other time I think in in the history of the church um, that is just accessible to us now. Uh, but some of the other things that that uh, I would love to get involved with, I'd love to see other people get involved with, specifically as uh, life returns to normal and we're able to be mm-hmm. close mm-hmm. to one another again. Um, uh, there's a, a group of people in in Oklahoma who get together on Tuesday nights for a potluck and for vespers, right? Mm-hmm. And they just they pray Tuesday night vespers together just to create community. Uh, and I think that that's maybe a, a level of um, of creativity that that not a whole lot of people have. They mm-hmm. don't they don't necessarily know what is it that I do to live out my faith in community um, as a disciple but also as, as a fellow sojourner with the, with the people who go to mass with me. Yes, yes, yes. And amen and amen and all that. Yeah. I am. Um, I had something when you were talking, something floated in my mind, but it floated out just as quickly. Um, um, yeah. You were mentioning resources mm-hmm. and, you know, I remember when I was a young Christian that if I wanted to learn about a subject, I had to wander down to a Christian bookstore and look around on the shelves and if they didn't have something, I had asked the people if they could if they could order the book or whatever, you know. With the internet now too, um, all the people that are doing YouTube shows and, um, and 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 whatnot, there's so much. In fact, you mentioned the Coming Home Network. Well, the flagship TV show um, is, of course, the Journey Home, right. which is aired on EWTN, you know, several times a week that Marcus Grody hosts. But we actually have developed at the Coming Home Network many other resources as well. I do a YouTube show every week with Matt Swaim, our social media manager, called On the Journey with Matt and Ken, mm-hmm. which is basically an apologetic show. What, what we're doing is we're addressing an audience of Protestants and primarily, in my mind, Protestant pastors. And we're explaining in great detail the process of thinking that led us into the Catholic Church. So there's On the Journey show. We have a Deep in History show. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a deep in Christ show. So there are a lot of resources there. If, if anyone goes to the website of the, of the coming home network and clicks on resources, they'll see, we have four or five different things, but there are so many great resources out there that anyone can learn the faith now and can go deep if, if they want to do it. And converts kind of have to take that responsibility on themselves. Although it's not that bad because most people that are converts have done reading you know, they had to become converts through something, through some process. And so they're the kind of people that can do that and and want to do it. But I, I deal with a lot of pastors, TL, that are just really frustrated with um, the fact that they've gone through this grueling um, process of becoming Catholic. And then they walk into a church, which frankly is really letting them down. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. talking about their parish. Right where they don't have good fellowship, where they don't have good education, where they often, you know, um, don't even have someone who cares. I mean, I've heard of, I have heard stories of priests telling people, why, why are you converting? Just stay where you are. You're fine there. You know, that kind of thing. And here you've gone through hell and, uh, you know, with your family and with your friends and you've resigned and lost your income. And someone in the church is telling you that you basically shouldn't have done it. It's no big Mm -hmm. deal. And um, so, you know, there's a lot that has to change on the side of the church as well. I, I don't, my experience and our experience at the Coming Home Network is not that the church is structured and set up to warmly welcome mm-hmm. even Protestant pastors that are converting. Um, 
bishops and priests and whatnot, they're all busy with their own things, you know? And so often, you know, even pastors that have been really successful pastors that were kind of big wigs in their situation, just come into the church and they're nobody. Yeah. Just pew sitters. That's it. Yeah. So uh, first things first, uh, if you see someone who you don't recognize, or if you see someone that you recognize from Easter Vigil, go up, introduce yourself and invite them to something, anything, coffee, uh, dinner, but be hospitable. This is, this is, I think, a huge virtue and a place that we, of course, I have a little bit of a Benedictine spirituality myself, so I, I'm all about the hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, find a way to get that person in front of you and with some kind of consumable, right? Whether that be a, a bagel or a dinner or whatever, uh, and start that conversation. That's the way to you start know, and the, the support. You know, and the joy works both directions because my my uh, experience is that is that lifelong Catholics love yeah. meeting converts in the end. Yeah. And they end up being surprised, you know, to hear their stories and to, and to find out what converts know. They're, they they find themselves inspired by converts. So so it's not a pure it's not a pure grueling service or something to get to know a convert, you know, <laughs> right. both directions. We've been talking today with Ken Hensley, online resource and pastoral care coordinator for the Coming Home Network. Go to chnetwork.org to find out more. Ken, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Well, it was great being with you, TL. If you missed any part of my conversation with Ken Hensley or you want to go back and listen to it again or find a way to share it with your friends on social media, uh, well, I've got just the thing for you because all of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And I love the archives because, for instance, this year we didn't talk about the, the Annunciation at all. But in previous years, we've had episodes covering that. Uh, and so I can go back and I can remind myself and listen to those those conversations and stories again. And every time you hear that story, or that conversation, uh, it becomes new. You catch new things. You hear new things about it. So I want to invite you to go and peruse those archives. Uh, visit OutsideTheWalls.com and know that there's always more to the conversation even than what you're seeing because all of those who support our show through Patreon help keep us on the air. Uh, They get an extra segment each and every week. So you can find out more by clicking that link in the top right-hand corner that says Patreon-support the show. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture through the eyes of the church. Learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the, the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55. Thus says the Lord, All you who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come, receive grain and eat. Come without paying and without cost. Drink wine and milk. Why spend your money for what is not bread, your wages for what fails to satisfy? Heed me, and you shall eat well. You shall delight in rich fare. Come to me heedfully. Listen, that you may have life. I will renew with you the everlasting covenant, the benefits assured to David, as I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of nations. So shall you summon a nation you knew not, and nations that knew you not shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call him while he is near. Let the scoundrel forsake his way and the wicked man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord for mercy, to our God who is generous in forgiving. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. For justice from the heaven, the rain and snow come down, and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. My word shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55. There's a lot of significance for me in this verse, and there's a lot of uh, very familiar phrases that come up in this passage. But today, what stands out to me uh, is this, this question of God's Word setting out and, and achieving uh, what it's set out to do. I, I've heard that verse a lot of times, my word shall not return to me void, but shall uh, do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. What stood out to me today um, was... Uh, the, the rain and the snow, they come and they do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful. And so the question that I have for myself today is, as the word of the Lord comes to me, as I hear all these scriptures uh, being read in tonight's liturgy, what are the things in my life? How, how is my life going to be made fertile and fruitful in the way that the rain and the snow make the land fertile and fruitful? Because at least what's standing out to me today is that that's the purpose of his word going forth uh, is not just to nourish us, but also to make us fertile and fruitful for the sake of others, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats. So as I am a person who needs to be nourished, I need nourishment from scripture. But I'm also called to be a missionary disciple, going out and sowing the, the seed of the gospel as well. So I need also... Uh, to be looking at it from from that standpoint. What is God's Word going to do in my life that will, and how am I going to allow that? Uh, am I going to uh, to submit like Mary did and say, let it be done to me according to thy word? Um, what am I going to do to allow my life to be made fertile and fruitful for the sake of others? Our reading from church history, as we do every Holy Saturday, comes from an ancient homily on Holy Saturday. This is the breviary reading that comes up every year. Something strange is happening. There is a great silence on earth today. A great silence and stillness. The whole earth keeps silence because the king is asleep. The earth trembled and is still because God has fallen asleep in the flesh, and he has raised up all who have slept ever since the world began. God has died in the flesh, and hell trembles with fear. He has gone to search for our first parent, as for a lost sheep, greatly desiring to visit those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death, he has gone to free from sorrow the captives, Adam and Eve, he who is both God and the son of Eve. The Lord approached them bearing the cross, the weapon that had won him the victory. At the sight of him, 
Adam, the first man he had created, struck his breast in terror and cried out to everyone, My Lord, be with you all. Christ answered him, And with your spirit. He took him by the hand and raised him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I am your God, who for your sake have become your son. Out of love for you and for your descendants, I now by my own authority command all who are held in bondage to come forth, all who are in darkness to be enlightened, all who are sleeping to arise. I order you, O sleeper, to awake. I did not create you to be held a prisoner in hell. Rise from the dead, for I am the life of the dead. Rise up, work of my hands, you who were created in my image. Rise, let us leave this place, for you are in me and I am in you. Together we form only one person and cannot be separated. For your sake, I, your God, became your son. I, the Lord, took the form of a slave. I, whose home is above the heavens, descended to the earth and beneath the earth. For your sake, for the sake of man, I became like a man without help, free among the dead. For the sake of you who left a garden, I was betrayed to the Jews in a garden, and I was crucified in a garden. See on my face the spittle I received in order to restore to you the life I once breathed into you. See the marks of the blows I received in order to refashion your warped nature in my image. On my back, see the marks of the scourging I endured to remove the burden of sin that weighs upon your back. See my hands, nailed firmly to a tree, for you who once wickedly stretched out your hand to a tree. I slept on the cross, and a sword pierced my side for you who slept in paradise and brought forth Eve from your side. My side has healed the pain in yours. My sleep will rouse you from your sleep in hell. The sword that pierced me has sheathed the sword that was turned against you. Rise, let us leave this place. The enemy led you out of an earthly paradise. I will not restore you to that paradise, but I will enthrone you in heaven. I forbade you the tree that was only a symbol of life, but see, I, who am life itself, am now one with you. I appointed cherubim to guard you as slaves are guarded, but now I make them worship you as God. The throne formed by cherubim awaits you, its bearers swift and eager. The bridal chamber is adorned, the banquet is ready, the eternal dwelling places are prepared, the treasure houses of all good things lie open, the kingdom of heaven has been prepared for you from all eternity. That reading comes from a homily, ancient homily on Holy Saturday. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please go visit cominghomenetworkchnetwork.org. Today's show was brought to you by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link to learn more. I pray you have a fulfilling and fruitful Easter season. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.